Open your Bible, if you would, to Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew chapter number 26. I'm going to try to teach quickly tonight. Matthew chapter number 26. We'll begin at verse number 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said to them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. What will you pay me for Jesus? You know, all the time you're being asked, all the time you're being questioned, what is your price? What is the value of you? uh, 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 What is the value of your compromise? What is it for you? Is it, is it a family member that says something ugly to you? Is it a mother-in-law that says something ugly to you? Is it a father-in-law that says something ugly to you? Is it a sister? Is it, is it a cousin? Is it a co-worker? What is it that will make you compromise your position in God? Judas said to him, he says, what will you give me if I give them to you? And they said, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. Verse number 16 says, and from that time he sought opportunity To betray him. Turn your Bible to John chapter number 18. John chapter number 18. We'll begin in verse number 1. From the moment Judas began to compromise. From the instance Judas began to compromise. He sought opportunities to betray him. Did you know there are people in this world and then there are wicked people. There are people that have... Uh, not heard about Jesus or have, have yet to be softened to Christ. And then there's another level that seeks to offend God. I would encourage you to stay away from people that seek to offend God. Did you know that you will rub off on people or people will rub off on you? You don't even have to be driving to be injured in a car wreck. Does that make sense? If you surround yourself with people who are constantly seeking to betray God, you are putting your very life and your spiritual heritage in danger. If you surround yourself with wicked people, listen, I'm not talking about ministering to people. I'm not talking about going after the lost. That's a different conversation. I'm talking about your your, your conversations. I'm talking about your, your close friendships. I'm talking about your camaraderie. If you surround yourself with people long enough and you say, I'm pressing into the things of God. And every time you mention the name of Jesus, they say to you, you know what? I I tried Jesus. I got hurt in church. And you know, this person did this and that person did that. And I just don't believe in anything. And I don't believe in God. And I don't know if there is a God and blah, blah, blah. And if there is, and then they look up to heaven and they say something, you know, some kind of blasphemy against God. And, you know, if, it's your, if you're really there, strike me, all this other nonsense. Get away from that person because they have a... Get away from that person. If it be possible to pray yourself up, then certainly it's possible to tear yourself down. If somebody is seeking to betray God, distance yourself from that person. It doesn't mean you can't love them. It doesn't mean that you don't pray for them. It just means that the time together with them is spent with a very purposeful intention. You don't live your life casting your pearls before swine. What's that mean? It means the inner things, the valuable things in your life, you don't give them to somebody that's not going to recognize them as valuable. A pig doesn't care about a pearl, but you and I might. 
Same scenario is when you get in a relationship with somebody, whether it's boyfriend, girlfriend, co-worker, uh, friend, compadre, fraternity brother, sorority sister, whatever the, 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 whatever the, the area that you are in relationship with that person in, if you get to the place where you're casting your pearls, your valuables, and they constantly get stepped on and crushed because somebody is not seeking to understand God, nor are they on the fence about God where they're not sure one way or the other, but they've made the decision to try to betray God, distance yourself from that person. Don't waste any time. Pray for them. If they want, if they want to be ministered to, that's fine. I've been in situations, uh, I've lived long enough now where I've seen people that hate God, that, that say angry things about God. And then years later, one guy, it was eight years later, he called me wanting to talk to me about God. And, all, and I'm happy to do it. But the bottom line is, is you cannot afford to risk your family or your heritage by hanging out with riffraff that wants to betray God and put you in volatile situations. There's enough devils in this world to fight without inviting them in the room. It's a different thing when you live for God. It will attract attention. It will attract all kind of uh, of a different perspective in your life. Everything about your life is now about God and not about you. Everything. If there's somebody wicked, and I can't get, I, can't, I guess I just can't get off of this for a minute. If you have somebody in your life that is spilling wickedness. And, and, and hatred, and, and maybe it's racism, or, or maybe it's maybe it's uh, uh, just vile nature. Maybe it's just uh, 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 somebody that's a womanizer that that, that that says ugly things about God, or maybe it's some uh, way off the rocker man hater that that just uh, hates every man that ever lived, and all this other stuff, and they curse God and and say, "Get yourself away from that person because you've got a family and you've got a calling and you've got anointing, and it's important for you." To take care of what God's given you. Amen? Amen. So along the way, just make sure that you understand there's a difference between somebody that's lost and somebody that's made the decision to to betray God. John chapter number 18, Jesus had spoken these words. When Jesus spoke these words, He went forth with His disciples, this is verse number 1, over the brook Cedron. Where there was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. This is right before Jesus is about to get arrested, right before his crucifixion. And Jesus does something interesting. He walks into a garden, but what's also interesting to point out is the first Adam, the first man that didn't have an earthly father, was thrown out of a garden. So right before Jesus pays the price for you and for me, he does the thing that Adam could not do. Adam couldn't go back into the garden and Jesus walked freely in. You see, sin threw Adam out and Jesus walked in because he knew no sin. Verse number two, Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft time resorted, uh, went there, oft time resorted there with his disciples. Judas knew where Jesus was because Judas was close to Jesus. Jesus had 12 guys that we would say were close to him. And he lost one. You cannot take everyone with you. You cannot take everyone with you. You want to. I want to. They have to make the decision just like you did. Nobody gets to St. Peter's Gates and said, Yeah, you know, Johnny was a pretty good friend of mine and I'm sure he knows you. Jesus is going to say, Depart from me. I never knew you. 
You've got to get to the place where you recognize that the people who get close to you, though they may hurt you or not your enemy, they're in fact the people that you are a testimony for. Because in the right season, the right time, when they have the opportunity to come back. See, Judas and Peter are at two different ends of the spectrum. Both of them betrayed Jesus in their own right, but Peter came back. Judas did not. So along the way, we've got to get good at recognizing not only do we hang around with people that want to betray God and curse God and blaspheme God and all that nonsense. At the same time, we've got to understand sometimes people are going to hurt us. What do you do? You get up. You put your shoes on. You put your pants on. Maybe in the opposite order. You put your shirt on. You brush your teeth. You go to work. You believe God. You say, but I'm broken. Well, thank God He's closest to the brokenhearted. It's different when you live for God. It's a new thing to be walking in love at the level that you understand somebody close to you is probably going to betray you, but you still do what you know God's called you to do and walk in the garden anyway. Verse number 3. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. A band of men. It's the Greek word spira. It means about 600 men. And that's just the soldiers that he had with him. That's not counting the officers from the high priests. So there was at least 600, probably more than that, guys with Judas walking into a garden where they're fixing to talk to a rabbi. They're, te- they're fixing to talk to a, a, a teacher. They're, fi- they're not going to find Barabbas, the guy who killed a bunch of people. They're not going to find Goliath or anything like that. They're going to find Jesus, the guy who healed the sick, who raised the dead. And they bring 600 people with lanterns and pitchforks and knives and, and swords and everything else on the planet. They're coming to kill him in the garden. They're coming to lay him at waste. In the garden. And they answered him. (coughs) Jesus, or verse 4. Jesus therefore knowing all things. Should come upon him. Went forth and said to them. Who do you seek? Whom do you seek? Judas said. How much will you give me to compromise? And Jesus always asked the same question. Who do you seek? Are you looking for gain at the expense of the kingdom of God? Or do you seek Jesus? Are you looking for a difference in your life and then you still can go live the life you want to live? Or do you really want Jesus? Do you just want the benefits of Jesus? Do you just want the blessings of God? Or are you interested in knowing Him? How many people in this world want to be blessed? All of them. How many people in this world want to be loved and have peace and joy and wisdom? Everybody. How many of these people in this world want Jesus? Jesus says the same thing. Who do you seek? Jesus, therefore, knowing all things, it should come upon him, went forth and said to them, Who do you seek? Verse 5, they answered him, saying, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said unto them, Is that on the board? Good. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. In the King James Version, which is often called the authorized version, if a word is in italics, 
It's a word that's added by the translators to help us kind of understand what they were meaning. So if you read verse number 5 without the italics, it says this. They answered him, who are you? They said, he said, who are you looking for? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with him. And as soon as he said unto them, I am, they went backwards and fell to the ground. You see, Jesus said a lot more than just, I'm the guy you're looking for in that moment. Because when Moses asked God, who can I say that you are? He said, I am that I am. Jesus was saying, I am He. I'm the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I'm the one you're looking for and you've got no chance but come but come to me without those pitchforks and stuff. And as soon as He said, I am, boom, 600 men fell to the floor. Doesn't matter what's coming against you. Doesn't matter if they have lanterns. Doesn't matter if they have weapons. Doesn't matter what they have with them to come against you. The minute you bring Jesus into the equation, nothing can stand in His presence. He said, I am. The power of God fell in that garden. But not the way it fell in the Garden of Eden. Where he had to throw man out for sin. When he said, I am, sin fell to the ground around him. And as soon as they had said to him, I am he, they went backwards and fell to the ground. Verse 7 says this. It says, then he asked them again, who do you seek? You know, Jesus... You can say yes to Jesus today, but guess what? You've got to say yes again tomorrow. You can decide you're going to live for God today, but guess what? Next month, you've got to decide you're going to live for God. It's not a one and done scenario. You're called to be a disciple, a disciplined one that changes it back into his likeness and his image by the renewing of your mind and making effort to press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. But the scenario is, is Jesus is always asking you, are you seeking after me or not? It's Holy Week, y'all. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I told you that I am. I am is an interesting word. The word I there is the word uh, uh, ego or, or, or E-G-G-O. And what it indicates, it's, it's usually used in the Greek when it's a very demonstrative saying. It's used when, when somebody wants to put some emphasis on something. So if somebody were to say, you know, do roll and say, okay, who else here? I'm going to do it. They say, Brian Hallam. If somebody wanted to just say here, that's one thing. But if they said, Brian Hallam, he said, I am here. It's saying, I've come on the scene. It's a very declarative thing. But the word am is also an interesting word because it's a present tense position. He's certainly the same yesterday, today, and forever. But what God wanted Moses to know and what Jesus is telling these 600 guys who are fixing to try to kill him is you better be careful because I'm present right now. In your situation, there's no reason for you to worry whether or not you're going to get the victory because he is. There's no reason for you to worry because when you ask him, where is Jesus? He says, I am. I'm present and accounted for. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to go away from you. I'm going to put things in order by my power and by my ability, which this world knows not of. Jesus said, I told you that I'm he. Therefore, you seek me. Let these people go their way that the saying might be fulfilled. Of them which which, which thou gavest. I've lost none 
Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, smote the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. I love Simon Peter. The cussing, fishing entrepreneur that just loved Jesus. I just described my dad. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Two out of the three. Y'all can pick which two. (laughs) No, no, no. I just described my mom. (laughs) She still carries a sword, y'all. Sword of the Spirit. Here's the deal. You don't cut a guy's ear off trying to cut his ear. He was trying to kill the guy who was trying to get Jesus. He was trying to do with earthly things what could only be done with spiritual things. And God didn't, I mean, Jesus told him, put your sword up and all that other stuff. But he didn't tell him, I can't believe you did that. Because he's looking for people that have a cell phone. No problem. He's looking for people that will do something. He can use somebody that's trying, but he can't use somebody that's stagnant. Peter was at least willing to fight. Jesus told him to bring a sword if you really want to search the scripture. He said, I've told you before, don't worry about anything. Don't bring any money or, or don't bring a purse. Don't bring a coat. You know, just don't, don't worry about what you're going to say. But now I'm telling you, if you don't have a sword, sell your coat to get one. He brought to him and said, we have two swords. So that's plenty. And I'm adding this part. Not really, but I would like to think. He said, make sure Peter's got one because I know he'll do something. So he says to him, he says, this is not the way the kingdom is going to be built, Peter. Thank you for being willing to fight for me, but I'm going to do it a completely different way. And he touched Malchus' ear, who I assure you his life changed in that moment. And he healed his ear. And he said, now I'll go with you guys. And they took him. Here's the scenario. 600 men with weapons do not go to a garden. To go and bring one man back. They went to kill him. And Jesus through his. Unbelievable. Amazing. Creative nature. Chose for two words. To throw 600 men backwards. And on their backs. And then he chose a miracle. To stay the hand of the enemy. Did you know in your life, miracles, signs, and wonders will manifest in the most opportune time when it appears all hope is lost? Because here's the deal. If there's 600 guys, have you ever seen those scenarios? Uh, I have a lot of friends that are police officers. And and if a police officer is to get uh, 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 shot or, or hurt, all the other police officers kind of have this unwritten rule. That, whoa, somebody just cut one of ours. Now we're really going to come on to them. So this guy's ear gets cut off. It's about to get crazy. Jesus and the eleven are toast. And Jesus said, whoa. 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He heals Malchus' ear. And the thing is, it's so important because if that hadn't happened, Jesus would have died in the garden. If he had died in the garden, Isaiah would have been a liar. And he would have never been wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. And by his stripes, we wouldn't have been healed. He would have never been pierced, which the scripture says. He couldn't die there, y'all. This is Holy Week. There's two completely diverse positions. You have Judas who, who, who decided he was going to sell Jesus out. If you look at Exodus chapter number 21 around verse number 32 or 33. 32 or 33. The scripture says that the price of a slave was 30 pieces of silver. But even more interesting than that, it's not to purchase a living slave. It was, a, a, it was an amount that was, if you accidentally killed somebody else's slave, you owed them 30 pieces of silver. So it was the price of a dead slave. And Judas sold Jesus for the value of a dead slave. Less than a week before that, he's sitting there, all the disciples and everybody are there. And a lady walks in who the Bible says was, was just overwhelmed with emotion. Brings a very expensive ointment. And anoints Jesus. And Judas says, why is she wasting that ointment? You ever heard anybody say that? Why do you give so much to the kingdom of God? Why do you do that? Why do you give so much time and effort and energy? The Bible says Judas didn't say that because he cared. He said, we could have taken that and we could have sold it for 300 pence, 300 pieces of silver. And given it to the poor. The Bible goes on to say he didn't say that because he cared about the poor. He said it because he was a thief. And he would steal from the treasury. Less than a week before, he's questioning somebody else's gift. And then he betrays the king of all glory for a tithe of that gift. The tithe is a holy thing to God. It's sacred. It's separate. It's a different thing when you decide to take life to that level with God. Always be cautious of people that have the best idea about what somebody else should do. The person that says, you know what, they should do this with their money. They should do this with their time. They shouldn't let their kid do this. They should make their kid do that. They shouldn't do this. They should drive here. They should not drive there. I can't believe they missed that wedding. I can't believe they made that wedding. I can't believe they did this. I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe. Mind your own business, Judas. We could have sold it. He didn't care about the poor people. He had wickedness in his heart. And he thought he was selling Jesus. But we found out that he sold himself. For 30 pieces of silver, he became a slave to sin. And just like Exodus 21, he's dead today. Hung himself a day later. Peter was just torn 
with remorse, saying, oh my goodness, I betrayed God. What am I going to do with myself? Judas is in the same position. He goes and takes the money that he, that he, that he sold Jesus for, but in fact sold his own soul for, and he throws it back at the Pharisees, and they said, you shouldn't give this to us. And they take the money. They said, we can't put this in the temple because it's blood money. So they go and buy a potter's field. And do you know what they call a potter's field? Uh, a field is still called a potter's field today if it's a cemetery where people go that nobody wants. I can see those Pharisees and I can see that I can sense them saying, you know what? We betrayed this guy. Probably nobody's going to want him. So we'll go by this field and at least Jesus will have a place to be buried because nobody's going to want this guy. Once we kill this lunatic, it's not going to matter. We can go back to business as usual. We can be as religious as we want to be. People will still come kiss our ring and everything else. And we'll just say, you know what? At least we'll clear our conscience because we gave the man a grave. He didn't need a grave except for three days. different when you live for God. Don't you ever let somebody that's always got the best thing that somebody else ought to do speak into your life with a bunch of nonsense. Judas didn't care about those people. He cared about being able to skim off the top. He was a thief. I'm not here to talk bad about Judas. I'm here to tell you, no matter how dark Friday looks, Sunday's on the way. This is Holy Week. Everything happened in Holy Week. Jesus rides in on a donkey that nobody had ever ridden before. On Monday, he runs into the temple and just turns the tables over and says, My house, my father's house will be called a house of prayer. Which, by the way, it's why we pray so much. Moves on through the week. He has dinner. One of his very own closest compadres that went with him everywhere is filled with the devil and goes and sells him for the price of a dead slave. Here's the kicker. The scripture says nobody could take Jesus' life. Rather, he laid it down. I'm done teaching, but I want to leave you with this thought. Whatever you're going through, wherever you find yourself, it's the accuser of the brethren, according to Revelation, the devil, that's constantly making railing accusations against you night and day. Get off of his team. You'll find yourself beating yourself up long enough to where you'll have a hard time walking through those doors. You'll find yourself beating yourself up long enough to where you quit praying. To where you quit enjoying worship and it becomes a a point of conviction. Worship is not a point of conviction. If you're feeling convicted, get right with God and then get right back to worship. But here's the scenario. Regardless of where you find yourself. What if Judas would have just held on. Another couple of days. No matter how dire your situation is. Don't let go now. Give it another day. If breakthrough doesn't happen tomorrow. Give it another day. Because regardless of where you find yourself. Sunday will be here shortly. Amen. Give God a hand of praise.